honest with you, uh, I hate grade cricket. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Great Cricketer Podcast. On today's show, England have gone 2-0 up in the T20 bubble series thanks to Josh Butler being maybe England's best ever white ball player and Australia being on a Kentucky bubble tour. Are Australia good? Is anyone good? What do rankings mean? And who has to throw the ball back when another Darwin Milan bomb lands in the empty seats? Ian Bell announces his retirement, so we dissect his 22 test century career through the lens of two blokes with zero test centuries. And finally, Darren Lehman's coaching role for Yorkshire's 100 team is being scrutinised after claims of institutional racism spread this week. Hashtag AskTGC involves playing rare sports outside of cricket, playing against the England women's blind team, and what would happen if one hashtag AskTGC met Shane Warne. This episode is brought to you by Budgie Smuggler, where you can get your customised face mask at budgiesmuggleruk.com and Manscaped, who are offering 20% off of your purchase using the code TGC at checkout. You can also check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash great cricketer for more exclusive content every single week you can also find this episode right now on youtube as well as all your other streaming services as per usual because it's 2020 you know the drill my name is ian higgins and i'm joined by sam perry pezzy lad hello hello Higrat. <laughs> it's really it's There's a good energy here in this room despite the announcement from our premier dan andrews on sunday yeah. uh we're in melbourne for those who are listening and uh uh, we've just been told lockdown's been extended essentially by another six weeks. Mm. It's already been six weeks, so he's essentially said start again. <laughs> Double up. <laughs> Double up. <laughs> you but we support again. it. We support it. Well, yeah, I, I said to you, I, you know, I can't get a haircut till October 26th now. I'm going to be a hat guy for a while. Oh, well, fuck. Welcome to my world. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Pez, last week Kevin O'Brien smashed a six um, through a windshield of his own car uh, for Leinster Lightning in a match against Northwest Warriors in Dublin. Uh, one of his eight trademark sixes of the Irish cricketer broke the back of the window of his own car parked outside the Pembroke Cricket Club's ground. Therefore, now I'm thinking, you're, you're a man who's hit many sixes in your life or been on the field that has, that has seen many sixes. Mm-hmm. One of those two. You got, have, you got, have you got any good six stories, six hitting stories? Well, I was gonna, oh, that's very kind of you to um, emphasise the batting there. I didn't hit many sixes, but I tell you what, I used to get fucking bombed Did you? as a leggy. Yeah, yeah, yeah oh, of course. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have been bombed that many times. Yeah. And like style of leggy where like it was it was loopy, it was it was very side spin based. Yeah, spin so up. if it didn't, uh, yeah, always telling you to spin up, mm. you know, not really. No. Probably didn't really need to. Just one guy could spin up. Yeah. <laughs> really. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I'd get bombed on the reg. Um Stuart McGill actually taught me once at a spin camp, like just to ignore the result of the ball, regardless of what happens. I used to love watching him like turn around, regardless of whether he bowled like a near double bouncer or got a wicket. He had the same sort of uh, like response every time, which is also my way of telling you I used to deal with Stuart McGill. I, saw, I, saw, I read so the story. That's yeah. what was going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's fucking awesome. Now the story, the one story I remember, and it actually wasn't related to me, thankfully, but there's another friend of mine who had similar leg spinning ambitions, similar yips, uh, and mm. I won't say his name, but. Um, his mate. Cameron White. <laughs> no, no, I'm not mates with um, Cam White. But, uh, the bear. His, yeah, I couldn't remember his nickname. Anyway, <laughs> I've, we've got mut- a mutual friend, right? And okay. so this guy was playing at Sydney University, you know, against the uh, the, the white collar upstarts at Sydney Uni. Right, yes. And he's, been, he's come in and he's been apparently like absolutely bombed at Sydney Uni number two and it's gone into effectively like the science department. Oh, my it's God. It's gone smashed through a window yeah. and gone into the science department. Yeah, yeah. One of those like, oh, my 
God, sixes, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yep. And so he's made our mutual Violence, friend. Yeah. Tells me the story later. <laughs> he thought it was hilarious. This yep. guy took himself quite seriously. Right. He went to retrieve the ball. And so he goes up, he gets into the science department, goes to uni there, right? Gets right. into the science department. Usually he's passed. They, the game's obviously continued on or whatever because sure. they've not lost ball. Yeah. And um, he's gone and retrieved the ball. He says, he claims, right? Could be a good story. I don't know. Could be a furphy. Mm. There's still shards of glass in the ball. <laughs> That's not true. And he's still sh- he's got, there's still shards of glass in the ball. Keeps the ball, presents it to him on his 21st birthday. As a, as oh a gift. Oh, my God. And the guy is, like, so embarrassed, doesn't see the funny side at all, pegs the ball away. Uh, and I think my mate, who obviously has a dark sense of humour, found that even better. But I kind of liked that. You know, that was the, that's full circle for a, oh, a, flail, a flailing leg spinner. That's you know? fucking – the presence of mind. It was – yeah, and I, he, he, yeah. Does a, he does have a dark sense of humour, yeah. I think he actually he, – one time with another friend of his who was an entrepreneur, he actually bought the website name, uh, the domain name, thinking that um, – <laughs> He could sell it later for a good amount of money. And also just to watch his mate say, fuck, someone's bought the domain name for my name. Anyway, yeah. that's a different story. Well, so like yeah, Channel 7 did that to us as well. Oh, that's a good point. They still haven't given us that <laughs> website. Any danger. They own greatcricketer.com. Anyway, um, uh, well, ownership, hey? Well, when you say that, uh, when you say that, I love that presence of mind, yeah, just mm. just like, oh, you know, John's 21st birthday is in a couple of weeks. Haven't got him a present yet. Wait a second. Wait a second. Shards in the ball in the what shape of his, in the shape of his go- birthstone as well. Exactly, seeing um, the six and going, yeah. There's his twenty first. <laughs> How can I make this moment forever exactly. last forever? Yeah, I, when you say that, uh, yeah, the last uh, I, I captained a team and uh, a six was hit off my opening bowl there. I've tweeted about it before, mm. and it, the six was so big into the science department there, yeah. and it was so big that I laughed. It was, it was, and I was sending it cover and it went to over mid wicket yeah. and he turned to me, just looking at me, just laughed, just yeah. chuckling away. Didn't yeah. appreciate it. Don't know why. Uh, the one that came to mind for me was, um, I was obviously not playing in this game, but it was when, uh, at my club, Gordon, Scott Styrus was playing for Gordon right. and Michael Slater had been dropped from Australia, New South Wales, and he was playing for, um, uni of New South Wales, but he was driving a Ferrari or a Porsche, one of those two cars. Mm. And he had parked it behind the clubhouse and Styrus had started sledging Slater saying, I'm going to hit your uh, Ferrari or Porsche, and he did. He loved the side screen. Those real worldy players can do stuff like that, can't they? I'm going to hit your Porsche yeah. parked behind the clubhouse. Yeah. It's just when you get to that level, you're so good. You've got so much security. You can play in low-level games and, like, just start making your own fun. Treat it with disdain. I remember like, early um, foray in first grade, I was under the lid, and uh, mm-hmm. a guy called Darren Wotherspoon was batting, and oh, he right. was in the New South Wales squads. Yeah, he was yeah. in and around. He played 19s and stuff like that. Yeah. And I was being told to chirp him. Terrible sledge. Oh, I was no God. good. Yeah. yeah, big, big, thick guy opening the thick. batting. Mm. And then off, we, we, we sort of scored some runs in the first inning, so it was a couple overs to bowl at them. We were, you know, cock a hoop, all, all that sort of mm. stuff. Three slips, sun mm-hmm. fat, you know, sun. Oh, best sunlight. time. You know best what I mean? Yeah, yeah, sunlight coming down. Yeah, you can do that wrong. And I can't remember what I was saying to him. It was probably shit. And, he's, and he said to me, like, I'm going to pull this ball right at you. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I remember, you know, my only comebacks were ever like really literal. I'm like, why would you do that? Why, why wouldn't you hit a boundary? Why would you? But it scared the shit out of me. Yeah. yeah anyway, didn't happen. I can't remember which show we talked about this. And that's where you just start sledging, just like saying some weird stuff, which gets in the head for the last forever. Just like what well, I would never have got through uni had it not been for that horse. Yeah. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> start thinking of that for a while. Um, Pez, well, speaking on that mole of the uh, things that have happened on the show, I want to speak just just a, a plug for the Patreon yeah, because yeah. there was a show that happened last week uh, for hashtag ask TJC, for t- to ask TJC Fridays mm. where I could speak more eloquently there. Mm. 
Um, and it's just one of it's the it's the best story we've ever received. Probably. And is it like to say from the and I know we've talked about this on social and stuff like that. Like we don't deliberately put the like hide the best content behind the paywall. It just happened organically, but it was just magnum opus stuff. Uh, and I can't overstate how funny it was. We're both in tears. Yeah, exactly. So I'd say in terms of the podium, it would go it would go um, cookies looking good today. Three. That's three. Yeah. Steve wore. Um, sledging second grader when yeah. Austin Wall was playing. Yeah. That's two. And then this one is better than that. Yeah, I think so. Like, it got to the ter- – like, I'm not, a, I'm not a big believer in it, but, you know, people say oh, I, I sometimes do things to give me a pick-me-up, you know, to get a pick-me-up. Like, I, I honestly, like – 100%. Had a, had a second baby. Yes. Life can be tiring and challenging at sure. times. I, honestly, two or three occasions this week, I've, I've turned it on mm-hmm. to start laughing again because it just uh, – Mate, I said to you, I've listened to it 20 times. Yeah. Oh, there's no exaggeration. Have you got Have you got the comments in front of me? Just, no, I don't. It's one, of, don't. it's one of those things where it's just like – we could be overselling it, but I yeah. just have to tell you that if you want to go check it out, it's patreon.com forward slash great cricket. The best thing is you can sign up now and you get all the content that's already been put up there for the last month or so. We sort of, we put the content, some of the comments up on social. Didn't I don't want to spend too much yeah. time here yeah, just yeah, fucking yeah. absolutely yeah. just rinsing yeah. it, but I mean, it's it was good. It's amazing. It was really good. Uh, and just, so just with Patreon as well, like just know if you do sign up to it, right, you don't, it's not just you get the latest thing, you get everything unlocked and everything we do is evergreen as they say in the biz which means none of it's tied to the news cycle it all makes sense all of our so so right now there'd be like 12 or 13 things you get including like four rcgc fridays a whole bunch of log reads we had our first dream analysis through oh, the yeah. week which is incredible yeah. um from our depth psychologist jake yep. and uh and we actually changed the name of the guy who submitted the feature dream after he jake did his analysis because it was so cutting and thorough <laughs> we're like we need to protect this guy's identity but that's that's a good 1500 word read uh and yeah bonus interviews with Zampa and stuff as well and there's going to be more of those bonus interviews we've already recorded some of them uh, that's patreon.com slash anyway so if you want to go check it out do it in absolute it. tears of laughter yeah. if you can't you don't want to do it yeah, don't worry no, about it if you can't no dramas especially hey, in this environment England uh, 2-0 up in the T20 bubble series which mm. is the thing that I'm, I, I, want, I want Zoom to start sponsoring stuff and I was also thinking about like, like Skype, Skype's been around for so long but they're not around for the fucking pandemic which is how we're all communicating like it's yeah. around but now it's like the fourth tier it's a great time it, this was its time to shine but it was already on the way down Josh Butler hit him well Greatest white ball player for England. Now let's talk about that because you want to do that now. You want to well. Why don't we go through the games? Okay, and then, through, and then, okay, then, then the issues. Okay, so yeah. game one, Australia yeah. absolutely fucking pumping England. Yeah, and they controlled lost, every facet. They lost that game. Yeah, and that's where now we're talking about the gas trucking, which yeah. is a thing that I've never heard before until a couple of BBLs ago when mm. uh, the Stars and the Renegades were playing. In that final, they absolutely fucked that as well, but. Australia were now. What was the situation? Australia was chasing about one sixty, one seventy, something like that, and we're like, and Australia were about one for one hundred and thirty. So the scenario was forty off thirty nine with nine wickets in hand. Mm. Warner and Smith at the crease. Yeah, you've controlled the game to yes. that point. I mean, and there's a lot of X's and O's in T Twenty cricket now. You can read that on Twitter. Some of it's very interesting. Some of it possibly overblown, but that's cricket. You know, that's cool. 40 off 39, you've put yourself in the position to pretty much do it from there. And I think with T20 cricket, you get yourself in that scenario where you only need one or two boundaries and you've then got it to less than a run a ball and you control the game from there. It's done. Yeah. And for whatever reason, Australia just could not find that boundary and the the scoreboard pressure piled up again. Stoinis kept missing it and they go down by two runs. They just couldn't find that final like four or six uh, inexplicably. And so now it looks like they've kind of got a few middle order issues there. Yeah. Uh, when you say that, mate, like run a ball, nine wickets in hand, how often 
in the olden it, days, is it just hit and run from then on? Like I know, I know you say one boundary, just then you 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 shift the one. You're good. Yeah, one. Then they have to bring fielders in to right. actually get that pressure again, and then you're gone. But yeah. they couldn't really do it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, there's all these mitigating factors. Like they haven't played for a long time. Oh, yeah, of course, and they're, yeah, they're, yeah. They're all, the side looks pretty good. They just looks a, they just look a little bit short on finishes and some middle order stuff. Some yeah. where's Alex Carey bat? Where's Marcus Stoinis bat? It's weird. Like like Langer said, yeah. I think Stoinis is an outstanding top before the series. I think Stoinis is an outstanding top order player. It gives him a lot more time. We also know that he's an adaptable player and he can play anywhere. But I feel he is best in the top order. So then he bats five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the well, of the mate, next game. mate, this is this is the problem. So I can Finch and Warner are probably uh, the best opening partnership in world T Twenty cricket. Sure, probably mm. as now, a partnership. As, yeah. a par- as a partnership. So Finch Finch went past two thousand T Twenty I runs, mm. um, and he's the second quickest player to do that ever, mm. uh, behind Coley by about six innings or something like that. Right. Finch, is, I still reckon Finch is a bit underrated. Which is amazing. in short form cricket. In short form, already oh, really? he's a bit because he's he's one of the greatest we've ever had. Yeah, I, I right. think he's. I don't think he's perceived in that. In that oh, in Australia, that. yeah, it's almost like when we discuss Australian captains as well. So, well, hang on, he captains two of the three sides. Right, and you don't really think about him as no. that. It's just that's it's that Steve old, Smith's job. That's old school. Yeah, that's <laughs> Steve Smith's the captain. <laughs> <laughs> There's only room for one man. You know, like one the man. Yeah, in exactly. Cricket, so. That's right. Yeah. We've got Unfor- one. unfortunately. Unfortunately, we don't make the rules. Bradman, then it was Greg Chapel, Steve Waugh, now Smith. <laughs> but it don't let me fit into that. Mm. Um, yeah, mate, when you say like we've got a couple of middle order batting problems there, like, yeah, Carey, Stoinis, mm. Maxwell. I feel a bit like with Maxwell and Stoinis, what have you done for me lately? Yeah. St- like Maxwell, we all know what he can do, but when does he actually do it? I think it's a bit – but I'm also all tied in with this series. I'm a bit like they haven't played. Yeah. They were not expecting to play. They're in a bubble. It's all a bit weird. Playing against a series of guys who have already played a few games of international cricket as well into the yeah. UK summer. There's heaps of caveats there. I don't there. think the T20 side's okay, you know? Like, is, is it it's number a, one in the world, apparently. Yeah, well, and this is why the third game's so important. It's rankings. so important. Are rankings important? Boyd rankings. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. So you said something else there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, well, I said this last week, mate. What, are they, what does it even mean? What do the rankings mean? I, I feel like the, you know. I still feel safe. If someone tells me Australia's number one, okay, I, wanna, I didn't perfect. know they were, and now I care. It's the infinitesimal moment when you hear number one, perfect. One. Yeah. Just the word one. And then I forget. One. I forget. There's, there's, a, there's a light bit of serotonin that comes through me when Australia's number one. Ah, oh, yeah, that's like, What that's, next? That's oh, Djokovic shot. hit someone with, yeah. in the, with a tennis ball in the neck. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Let's Definitely look at that now. Now, see, Watch three. the way his eyes follow the ball. He's absolutely aiming that at the throat. No doubt. For me, he wasn't rolling it back, was he? Hey, it was, it was the, it was the shot of an expert. He, j- he just got that power right that it didn't look like he mm. was doing it with any real force. Mm. But watch the way the eyes follow it. Nice to see Joe Road also to get pick up some work at uh, Flushing Meadows. There, there you go. There we Every go. Every week. <laughs> anyway, um, should we go to game two? Because Australia, Australia. Well, it's funny that we're saying Australia's fucked now and they'll never win a game again when they were absolutely smashing. Um, England that first yeah. game. But then England won comfortably in the second game, and that's because of Josh Butler. Now, about a month ago, Pez, maybe six weeks ago, I was like, where are the Butler runs? Love my Butler runs. Yeah. You know he's my favourite player. everywhere now. They're fuck. I'm, I've had too much. He's glutton. Butler's great. I just The, the, the wrist Mate, and the bat. He's so it's, stable. Yeah. He was toying with Ashton Agar, just reverse sweeping everything. Yeah. It was just like – now, that's a shot that we were never taught because we were at the very end of our careers when it started to come in. Yeah. And it's just like, I, I don't know how to hit that. Yeah. Like when someone like – when someone like Ian Bell plays a cover drive at international level, I go, oh, yeah, I could have done that. Of course. When, but when Josh Bartley hits a reverse sweep, now I don't know what the mechanics are of my hands and wrists and yeah. body yeah. and eyes. Yeah. I don't know what that feels like. I don't trust it. Mm. Yeah, no, 
he's an incredible player. Uh, but is he the best ever, Pez? For England? Yeah. Well, I felt like, I mean, it's a wonderful compliment for him, isn't it? And, like, I think oh, he's probably, wonderful in terms compliment. of the way he plays as well, you know, he's just so white ball. It's great. It's mm. fantastic. It's just so fast. I mean, we've talked about it before, like the hands. Mm. It's sportsman hands, you mm. know. It's it's incredible. Mm. Uh, I feel like it says a little bit about, like, maybe the, the dearth of excellent white ball cricketers in Eng- like that England's produced. That's Sorry to add a little little backhander yeah. to that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and he's on his way, you know. He could – they're going to go do more. He's going to go do more excellent stuff for England in white ball cricket. Do you know how old he is? I don't know. Third, he's actually missing the third game, uh, not to celebrate his birthday, but to have time with his family because he's been away for 10 weeks. So yeah, he's not right. playing. So Australia should win. Uh, yeah, and, okay. and it's his 30th birthday. So he's the other side now. I saw Mitchell Stark saying they have to make a new plans for um, for him in the third game. So, oh, I see. So they've, yeah. they've done well. They've, 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 yeah. they've thrown a birthday party. Australia's switched on. <laughs> They seem right up for it. They seem right up for it, these boys, don't they? <laughs> uh, well, uh, game two, I uh, noted that, like, well, Archer, like, tore through uh, Kerry Mate. and Warner and and Mark Wood. Mate, as well, Archer those... and Wood, hmm, that was, I know, oh, it's T20, it's white ball stuff. Yeah, I was yeah. like, hmm, that was a bit quick. <laughs> <laughs> that was quick. Mate, in the first over, Archer bowled a ball that Finch missed by, yeah, l- like a foot. Yeah. And I, I always think about, um, I, I, we, we, Mark Atkinson, guy who we both played yeah. with. Um, and he's obviously played with Tasmania and Australia. Good right? first-class career with Tassie. Exactly. And yeah. he, he once said, he made reference about um, Greg Matthews actually sledging David Boone. And Greg Matthews said like, um, that he said to the umpire, I'm fucking the story up. But basically the point is like international players don't miss the ball by very much. Like that's why I feel like in international cricket when the ball hits the outside half of the bat yeah. and the ball is like, oh, yeah. like how fucking hard it is on the wickets <laughs> that they play on. These absolute roads, the ball doesn't swing, especially with the kookaburra. The ball hits the outside of half of the bat. That's like a that's like an international world class player, not quite middling it. Mm. And so when they're missing it by a foot, he goes, hmm, well, that's, "That's pretty quick. That's pretty good, I reckon." Echo has been very good for TJC. He was also the uh, like source of two good stories. I think we've shared like the first one being the one where Ponting would always say, "Get a few today, did you?" And then the other one was in one of <laughs> yeah. David Boone's last ever matches where like a, a journo had been into him saying he's got to retire and Boone ends up going on to score 100. But before he walks out to bat, it was the Channel 9 game, he stood up to get his gloves on batting number three and started doing the Channel 9 song going, <laughs> yada-da-da. <laughs> yeah. How good is that? Sensational. That's good, yeah. Hey, uh, another thing that I noticed at um, Zampa in the first two games was bowling overs 18 and 19 respectively in games one and two. I don't know if that's quite right. It doesn't right. feel quite right to me from a, a tactical point of view where like – so in the second game, what did what Yeah, they needed 17, 17. It was literally – it was quite similar to the situation the Aussies were in in that game as well, except that as opposed to Stoinis missing everything, um, mm. <laughs> it well, Ali six, Ali six, Butler six. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was 17 off 10 and England yeah. won with seven balls seven to spare. Seven balls to spare. <laughs> Six Butler hit off Zampa was one of oh, the – it was clean. enormous. Yeah. I noticed Zampa's number three T20I bowler in the world. Yeah, I don't think he's, he's positions in that. Oh, no, but, but I've noticed he's, he's bowling a lot of wrongs. So, you know, yeah. just some X's and O's on the brotherhood there. But he doesn't normally um, – he's not normally noted for being like a mystery spinner. He's normally sort of slide into yeah, the wicket, yeah, exactly. leggies exactly. Uh, but, um, or overspin, but a lot of wrong. And so maybe he's just developing his game there. Well, mate, in that in the first game, England bowled Chris Jordan in the 19th over, mm-hmm. where Stonis just couldn't get it away, went yeah. for like four runs of that over, yeah. and then current, so, you know, whatever. Um, mate, Ian Bell uh, announced his retirement from cricket. Really? Uh, talking about one of the most purest ball strikers, stable yeah. bases, neat. Per- yeah. It's a perfect technique. Tidy. 
Um, Textbook. Am- amazing career pairs. Let me go through some numbers. Please. Let me go through some numbers. 38 years old. Um, it's actually pretty funny because two months ago he signed a deal with Warwickshire to play for next year, but then he said he released a statement about like when you know you know, and he sort of had that because he missed all of last year as well. With you wouldn't have to do those sprints uh, with Breslin. <laughs> <laughs> Breslin's bothering him to go on some yeah. nuff bag internet yeah. podcast. He's like, he's like, I'm out of here. Yeah, that, that's that's when he knew. Pairs seven thousand test runs at forty two, five Ashes wins, twenty two hundreds, third all time England ODI runs behind Morgan and Root, no less. Uh, some of the most notable uh, series wins, 3-0 Ashes win in 2013, which we asked Chris Rogers about uh, on the show in a little bit of time, and he had, he had some views on that as well. Uh, 4-0 win in India in 2011, batting at three. Um, so England say he's an all-time great, all-time one of the great players. Like they've the entire had. country is saying that, are they? The whole country yeah. is saying that. Boris Johnson in court. <laughs> in court. In court. <laughs> in court. <laughs> they, they know, every time someone retires, they have to actually put on a court case to debate <laughs> Why do they do that? That's right. Yeah. I want more government involvement in in cricket like it is on the subcontinent. Yeah. Yeah. Asia. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Don't the Sri Lankan team have to go through, the Prime Minister have to sign off on the side? That's a woeful stereotype. I don't even know if that's true. Let's run with it. Cool. Um, Helpful. So Ian Bell, 2200s, but he averaged 42. Yep. Isn't that weird? Okay. So you've put this to me on the agenda, I've, I've, and I've had a thought. I've had a thought. Good. I've had to think about it. Okay. 118 tests for Ian Bell. So I want what to you give thinks? you. Well, exactly. Thinks? Yeah. I want to give you some stats here. Now, don't. I want to give you some stats of, a, of an Australian player who's retired. Okay. You're probably going to guess who it is when oh, I go cool. through the numbers. Um, and I want I want your thoughts on this. 128 tests. Yeah. 8,000 test runs thereabouts. Six Ashes wins. So let's just, just to compare with Bell, 7,000 test runs. Yeah. Five Ashes wins. Um, 20 tonnes, this bloke, 22 yep. for Bell. Yep. Average a tick under 42, Bell yep. 42. Mm. Um, third all-time for Australia, ODI runs, Bell, third all-time. Okay. Admittedly, 3,000 more ODI runs than Bells and a okay. few more World Cups. Um, ME War. Yeah. As you helpfully, oh, sorry, as you helpfully uh, so, said at the start. That was good. Thanks for helping set, set that up. But, um, yeah. And where do we, where do we rank Mark? Well, is, he, is he an all-time great? So, so, so probably. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, probably is. So there's always going to be room for Bell with this conversation because of mm. the aesthetic around Bell. Yeah. You know, like a player that made you go, mmm, and, and he has a nice shot. Oof. You know, we talked about exchange rates Oof. on the show the other day. Yeah. Like, Oof. I'm happy, like, we, we give, uh, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> happy to give, like, the aesthetic high value in the currency. Like, we, we yeah. give Mark War more love than Absolutely. we probably should statistically because of what he offered aesthetically. And I think Pop Bell, Bell's uh, afforded the same thing. Now, Mark, let, let's let's have it right. Mark Wall's a better player than Ian Bell, right? Catches, um, World Cups, Bowls. more wins, bowling, uh, aesthetic. He's better. Mm. More Probably more 360 than Bell uh, in his own way. Probably. So, mm. but but mm. it's a similar player in terms of their, their place in the zeitgeist of yeah. each country. Well, right? it's interesting because Bell, Bell's 22 test match hundreds makes him third all-time for England. So it goes mm. Bell. There's a whole bunch of – there's like Boycott was 2200s. Yeah. Maybe Len Hutton as well, maybe yeah. 22s. A whole bunch of guys on 22. Yeah, then Hobbs, Sutcliffe. Peter, yeah. Peterson has 23 and then Cook has 32. That's right. that's how it goes. So it's third highest. And there's no doubt that runs in England are much harder to get than yes. Australia. Although right. it's funny that when English players come out here, they cannot fucking get off the square. So mm. it's kind of – it's if you, if you are good in Australia, it's probably easier to adapt elsewhere maybe. I think that's right. So – that's that's why that's why Cook's rated so highly, averaging forty five. Had to play half of his games in England, opening the batting in England. Yeah. That's that's so impressive. Thirty two hundreds that way. I agree. Um, although we never middled one ever. Um, so yeah, it's it's just kind of it's just kind of funny like placing Bell, but 
people in England say is an all-time great, probably is. Mm. And that cover drive, oof, that cover yeah. drive, mm. four, etc. Hey, Pez, um, just before we, um, just before this mm. is definitely just quick not bit one, of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. This definitely is not one to sweep over in any sort of way. But one of the biggest stories coming out of the UK that was Tahar Rashim from Wisden who broke this story. Um, but the article that I'm referring to now is actually from George Dobell, who wrote an article for ESPN Crick Info, which was titled, Azim Rafiq was on brink of suicide after experiencing racism at Yorkshire. And the article goes on to state that Rafiq, a former England under-19 in Yorkshire captain, says he lost faith in humanity after his reports of racist behaviour were ignored by the club. Originally seen as a symbol of the club's desire to embrace the ethnic diversity of the urban areas around its Leeds home, Rafiq came to believe that institutional racism at the club is worse than it's ever been. Now aged 29 and pursuing a career away from the game, Rafiq has chosen to, spoke, uh, to speak out in the hope that he, can't prevent, that he can prevent anyone else feeling the same again. I know how close I was to committing suicide during my time at Yorkshire, he tells ESP and Crick Info. I was living my family's dream as a professional cricketer, but inside I was dying. I was dreading going to work. I was in pain every day. There were times I did things to try and fit in as a Muslim. I now look back on and regret. I'm not proud of it at all. Now, there's obviously some spit off, there's some, well, there's obviously a number of effects after this, but uh, one of them that's come out, which I suppose um, you know, impacts Australian um, you know, listeners more than anything else, is, is Lehman was appointed to be the 100 um, coach, the, the team of the what's, – what's the name of the Yorkshire 100 team? Mark Quintero. So Lehman was going to be the coach of that team, and, and that appointment is under scrutiny in the wake of these allegations because in 2003, Lehman was suspended for five ODIs using racially abusive language following his dismissal in a game against Sri Lanka. Now, while uh, Lehman, previously a hugely successful overseas player with Yorkshire, has expressed remorse over the incident, he has described it as the biggest mistake of his life – that history, uh, that history could well come back to haunt him. Among Lehman's assistant coaches in the 100 is Yorkshire's head coach, Andrew Gale. He was banned for four games in 2015 for improper conduct after telling the South African batsman Ashwell Prince to, and I quote, fuck off back to your own country, you Colpack fucker. That's all the um, nuts and bolts and the facts of this case uh, from uh, originally broken by Tahir Rashim from Wisdom, but also George Dobell from ESPN, ESPN Creek Info as well. So, Pez... Um, institutional racism. It's, um, as I said before, definitely not one to sweep over. This is um, quite an alarming and shocking, uh, well, it's more than an allegation. If you, if you, you can find um, um, Rafiq speaking about this on Sky News, you can find that on Twitter if you, if you care to research it, and it's horrendously disturbing mm. hearing someone go through that sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. And, like, yeah, you're right. That's exactly the reaction that I think – most people would have. I know some some haven't. There was a dude, uh, Roger Pugh, who's the chairman of ECB Yorkshire South Premier League, mm-hmm. who described Rafiq in the wake of this as discourteous and disrespectful. Oh, yeah. Um, said he wasn't in a position to comment on Rafiq's allegation, but he, he found Rafiq very difficult to deal with. Uh, he included a biblical quote as well. Um, he said, several of our umpires and one of our clubs also had problems with him in 2016 when he was back with Yorkshire Cricket. I wrote to the club to draw attention to his behaviour, a step not taken lightly. I'm not a religious man, but a biblical quote seems to be apt here, as ye sow, so shall ye reap. And, you know, it just reminds you that, like, I mean, that's, that, that can get in the bin, obviously, Roger. Straight <laughs> the bin. You know? Straight um, the bin. Um, these people are still among us. And I, I guess with this incident, you, you ask, you know, what do we – Learn from it. You know, when you hear about Rafiq, you think, oh, you, oh, I'm listening to a story from history here. Like, this is the sort of stuff you read in a yeah. history book, you know, something when people were really racist, you know, with, with the sort of enlightenment we think we have um, now, you mm-hmm. know, is, um, wasn't present. But then you, you know, you have to learn that we, we don't live in a post 
racist world. Mm. Uh, you know, this this stuff is a continuation where we're still in it, you know, mm. in so many contexts. Australia, I mean, please, like yep. this isn't an Australia-England thing. Mm. Um, you know, racism can rear its head explicitly. It can rear its head in disguise. It can re- unintentionally reveal itself. Um, too many blokes, like, and, you know, in cricket, let's face it, usually blokes, so, you know, believe that they can be the arbiters of what's racist and what's not when they say something and they say, oh, I didn't mean it, so it absolves them. Mm. Um but it's possible to be racist without, you know, that being your intention. Like, you know, I think that it's easy to grandstand to two white blokes in Melbourne, but like, oh, yeah. you know, there needs to be, and we will, um, but, you know, there needs to be more listening, there needs to be more um, consistent, considered leadership. All this stuff comes through fear. You can address it with love or with zealotry or both. Like, I mean, I th- it's a it's a US um, example, but I love how like Greg Popovich, the Spurs mm-hmm. coach, he, he makes a point all the time of celebrating Paddy Mills, an Indigenous Australian, his um, story, you know, mm-hmm. and educating people that way. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just minded to – it reminds me of a quote that, um, you know, you, it's almost impossible to hate anyone whose story you know. And, you know, mm-hmm. oh, there needs to be more of that in cricket. It's mm-hmm. still too narrow. You know, mm-hmm. there are still too many um, – t- still too many people excluded and it all it's all done in an intangible way. And clearly that's the case at, at Yorkshire here as well, but so many places in Australia and at different clubs also. Absolutely right, mate. And I openly encourage everyone to go and see what uh, Rafiq was speaking about here Mm. Um, because when he told his story, I'd not heard of it before. I I literally listened to it last night, what he was saying. And the words that he was saying and the the kind of racism that he experienced, I immediately recognised. So I was telling you before. As in you've... You've seen stuff like that happen seen it. to us. I've seen yeah. it. And it's something that's really important for us specifically to talk about it because, as you know, Pez, mm. we speak to many, many young people through this show mm. and they'll still be playing right now and this stuff will still be going on because I saw it about – around about 15 years ago when I was playing, I think I was between 19, 20, 21, something like that, um, and I was playing um, – playing grade cricket in Sydney and a guy that I was playing with uh, during a lunch break – it was one day a game – he was from Sri Lankan heritage and he spoke to me and he was just like, um, a real like heart to heart. And he said, yeah, I really don't like the way some of the guys talk about me or mm. make jokes about me. Mm. And what Rafiq was saying in his thing was like, it was often described as, it was often disguised as banter. Exactly. And that's exactly what I recognize. And that day when this guy told me about his experiences that was happening in the team that I was playing on, on that day that I was playing. And he was like, you know, it, it obviously really affected him and I didn't know what to say. You know, I could say that I was young and I was. I was 19, 20, 21, something like that. And all I did was listen. That's that's really all. I, I didn't go and tell anyone at the club. I didn't tell the guys to stop doing it. I didn't do anything. And in hindsight, that was the completely wrong thing to do. Now, if that was happening, I would absolutely tell those guys to stop doing it or report mm. to the club or have a more of an open conversation, which is maybe one of the good things now that you can – you might feel um, like the structures are in place that you actually can do that like have those conversations, maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe. But, you know, that's that's the thing that when Rafiq was speaking, I immediately recognised it because I've seen it before and it happens, I reckon every single club cricketer in Australia has seen it in some way. They either play with someone who is from an ethnic minority or they play against someone and you hear the comments, you see it all the time. And one of the biggest regrets that I think about now is that I didn't do anything, which is exactly what Rafiq was saying at the time. So there's lots of young people playing out there. There's old people who are still playing and that's going to say it all the time. You have to say something if it's the person who's, you know, saying the racist thing, if it's supporting the person who is being racially abused, you have to go through the authorities and you have to make a change. It's the only way this thing ever goes away. Well, it doesn't go away, but communication is everything, I think. Mm. All, right. all right. Well, um, 
Pez, we've got a couple of really good discussions uh, with Mike Whitney and Chris Rogers coming up. Mike Whitney loves a yarn, doesn't he? Well, they're about to find out that he loves a yarn. <laughs> Which is great. I mean, I think in the course of all the guests we've had, a, he's had a multi-decade career in broadcasting. There's no better, clearer speaker or storyteller. So I hope yeah. people enjoy this uh, walk through his career. And, yes, we do discuss gladiators and who dares wins. Also, Chris Rogers on the show. And welcome to Who Dares Wins, the show where we could walk up to you anywhere, anytime, and dare you to do something you never thought you could, should, or would do. Now, on tonight's show, we've got two of the most frightening things that you'll ever see. We're going to dare someone to squeeze themselves through a series of caves 40 metres below the ground. And we're going to train someone to jump off this, a three-storey high platform. But first, to Brisbane. The old Sayo Biscuit. Over 90 years old and an Aussie icon. Well, these ones aren't 90 years old, but what we're going to do is dare someone to eat three and whistle us a tune all within a minute. And if they can do that, I'll give them $50. Okay, here goes. Uh, there's, there's been a lot of love uh, for this interview. He's a man of our own childhood. Test for Australia with a best of seven for 27. Shield for the Blues, 412 first-class wickets to boot. A very famous figure, a perennial figure uh, across Sydney Test cricket. We don't, not Sydney That's grade right. cricket, Sydney Test cricket. Correct. Uh, and a multi-decade broadcasting career taking in Sydney Weekender, uh, but more importantly, uh, for our own childhood, Gladiators, then Who Dares Wins. Uh, <laughs> Michael Roy Whitney, welcome to the Great Cricketer. I knew Who Dares and Gladiators was going to get bought up. It's just, people still talk to me every day, particularly about Who Dares Wins. I mean, but look, boys, the start of that intro, a lot of love. That's what it's all about. I love my cricket. I love making Who Dares and Glads and Sydney Weekender, which I'm still doing up there in Sydney. So it's been an amazing near on 40-year journey, and I'm still enjoying it. It's amazing. There's a, there's a lot to cover here, Wit, uh, and I will call you Wit if that's okay. But um, Absolutely, Wit. We start at the same place. Like, tell us about your relationship to grade cricket. Well, when I was growing up, I grew up behind Maroubra Beach in Sydney in a suburb called Matraville. And the dominant grade club was the Randwick Cricket Club. And I played in the South Sydney Juniors just with my mates until I was about 17. I played under 12s. And then you sort of got into a, a C or a B grade with a couple of old guys that just wanted to play on a Saturday afternoon on the mats and have a seven or eight schooners before they went home. Of course, we weren't old enough then to do that, but that's what they used to do. When I was about 17, I, I was playing on the mats one afternoon and there was an older gentleman playing for Marcelin, and all the guys were younger our age, and this guy was like in his 40s, but we found out later he was one of the dads and he coached that side and his son played. Anyway, I give it to him on the match this day, running in, bounced the kahunas out of him and bowled really quick. Um, <laughs> out at Pioneer Park at Malabar, yeah. <laughs> and that night, he rang up the secretary. What I didn't know was he played first grade for Ramwick. He'd made double centuries and centuries. He'd been a really, really good player in his youth. And he rang the secretary at Randwick and said, there's this maniac running around in the South Sydney Juniors competition with an afro 
<laughs> left-handed fast bowler, and he's really quick, and you should get him down to Randwick to play lower grades or whatever if he wants to play. So that secretary started ringing my house, and I kept saying no. I wanted to go surfing on a Saturday morning down the beach and play with my mates on Satiago, on the mats. It was good competition, and that was about all I thought about. But he rang this one Saturday morning. I had my surfboard waxed up. If it had been 10 minutes later, I would have been gone. And I remember hearing my mum answer the phone and say, yes, he's here. Yes, he will be there, Mr. Gardner, up at Snake Park. Yep, yep, yep. And it was about the third grade game of the 76-77 season, and two bowlers had pulled out of a fourth grade game on the morning. So I said to my mum, I've got no long whites, I've got no bowling boots, nothing. This is a turf wicket because I played in the school cricket there mm. at Snake Park. And um, they said, they've got, it. they've got a bag of spikes for you. And I've already phoned Mrs. Martin. That was the mother of a mate of mine. He was the only bloke I knew had a long pair of whites. Right. And I, I borrowed them, rode my push bike the three kilometres up to Snake Park in Maroubra, like they're opened a bag of spikes, a, a pair fitted me, and I took four for 16 on the day, bowled about 10 overs, and that was the start of my great career. I mean, from that day on, I was so blown away that I was playing A, grade cricket, and B, that I'd actually taken a few wickets. I got home that night, and my mum has always said, the look on my face when I rode my push bike back to Metroville that <laughs> night, was just amazing, and that was the start of my love affair with grade cricket. Mm. You obviously, well, and you stayed in grade cricket for a number of years as well, with because you've you've gone on to be president of said club, the Ramwick Cricket Club, and and there's been some amazing names that have played for Ramwick in the last sort of decade or so. I mean, there was a team that had Horitz, Kawaja, and Kadich all on the same side, but also most recently and probably most famously, Dave Warner switched from East to to um to Ramwick, and he played. He played, when was that, last last year, two years ago? A couple of years ago. A couple of years ago. Two, I mean, yeah, two years ago, during the time that him and Stephen Smith were banned, that's right. Um, they could only play club cricket. Mm. So, I mean, and there was a lot of interest in that year, let me tell you, it was yeah, amazing. I'm sure, yeah. I was going to ask, you know, it's sort of become less and less over the last years where the international players are playing so much cricket now. They barely play state cricket, let alone club cricket now. But when guys like those names, especially a guy like Dave Warner, even though it was for a band, I mean, what is, what's it like around the club when those guys are around? I mean, was, was Dave, you know, giving throwdowns to fifth graders? Was he helping out in the barbecue in the weekend, doing covers on a, on a Tuesday night? All of that. All of that. I got asked consistently over that summer, mm. oh, how's he going? And, and look, I've known David since he was a kid. Him and Osman Kawaja mm. played in the Coastal for the Coastal Cricket Club, which is one of the junior clubs mm. that's under our, our sort of tent, you know. So I'd seen them come up, and mm. then he decided to go and play for East. He probably should have played for us if we were his local club. And then he did come back. But look, that season, and he was unbelievable. I mean, he never missed training. He turned up and coached um, Woolworths Big Blast Coaching Clinics. Mm. We were having a clinic at Coogee one day. Uh, for young girls, and we thought we were going to get about 20, and about 45 turned up. David was driving by, saw that we were short of a couple of coaches, pulled up and coached there for an hour and a half, unannounced. Mm. He, he averaged 90 um, across the whole season. That's T20s, Belvedere Cup, one-day cricket. At training, some of the young blokes just couldn't believe the level that he trained at. And when I was asked about that, I said, look, it doesn't matter whether he's playing test cricket, shield cricket, or his club. That's the level he plays at. So it lifted the club. Mm. 
and to have him in the dressing room for the season, I was in there a couple of times, and the young first graders saying, oh, when Jimmy Anderson's doing this or when so-and-so's doing that or what's it like batting with Glenn Maxwell when you, you know, you're playing one day. And he just, mate, never, ever balked out a question, told them everything, gave them all this information. The big moment for me, but was at Coogee Oval in the second half of the season, we played uh, Sutherland in a one-day game at Coogee, and Steve Smith was playing, Shane Watson was mm. playing for them, Austin Moore, Steve Ward, yeah. young bloke, was playing for them. We had David, Daniel Sams, Changer, Adam Semple, I mean, all those really, really good cricketers, and Smith in their side and Warner in our side. I mean, there was about 8,000 people that come to Coogee over the day, and there was a constant crowd there of four or 5,000. To watch a grade semi final, mm. Austin Moore hit a six, the third last ball of the last over to win the game for Sutherland, and that game's still being talked about two years down the track mm. because there were international first class cricketers playing. Mm. So I've always said we need to have these guys back just for a couple of rounds, mm. two or three or four rounds every year to install by the kids in grade cricket mm. to show them what you need to do to play that level and to give the local crowds an opportunity to watch them play. It was just the best day. It, it was a historic day for both clubs. Mm. I suppose you're talking there, weird about some of the shinier elements of grade cricket, what it can look like at first grade level when the internationals are there, great facilities, mm. two coastal teams, Sutherland mm. and Randwick-Petersham. Take us into the bowels of grade cricket, you know, in the uh, in the late 70s when you were coming through for Randwick, before it had merged with Petersham. You know, what was it like going to the Nets there for Randwick or early 80s? You know, can you run us through some of the conversations, just the culture and the vibe of grade cricket uh, in that era? Yeah, look, it was very, very different. Uh, when I first got down to Randwick, we had an amazing array of players. And look, by the time I got into first grade in 79, the first grade team had John Dyson, who was actually playing for Australia New South Wales at the time. Alan Turner was our captain. He'd played 15 tests for Australia and was just revered around the club. Uh, Ron Crippen had played shield cricket for New South Wales and was a fantastic opening batsman. We had young guns like Peter Clifford, who went on to play 50 shield games for New South Wales and Queensland combined. Gary Bensley, one of the leading young all-rounders coming through. We just had this great side. But we were inspired by those guys, and they were all at training. So that year that we got from David Warner, I got that every week. Mm. And and it, there was also a bit of a no-dickhead policy at Randwick. If you were mucking around in the nets or you were you were hanging around the water bubbler too often, someone would say, hey, if you come down to train, I'll drink water out the bubbler. So I got that message really early, and it was very competitive at training and the level of grade cricket in those days because those guys played. And when we played another pretty good first grade stuff, it also had a sprinkling of first-class cricketers, guys that had played first grade for 10 or 15 years, and they were really, really hard games, which prepared me to go into shield cricket. So, look, a lot of good advice around at the time, a lot of amazing conversations to be able to talk to those guys and, say to someone like John Dyson and Alan Turner, who played in the mid to late 70s and Dyson up through that period as well, what's it like facing those West Indian fast bowlers who were just starting to rampage around the world? And 
what are the wickets like and what's it like in the SCG change room and and, and they just tell you and it, I think it prepared you mentally you knew where the level was that you had to get to if you wanted to play at that level and perform and it was fantastic yeah. uh, and as far as the cricket was concerned I can't remember too many push over first grade games they were all really tough competitive games all around Sydney Mm. Obviously, a great rite of passage for any Australian cricketer, Wit, is to go to the UK, uh, and you did that. I think you're about 21, 22. You went to play uh, for the Fleetwood Cricket Club, I believe it is, and then you had a few games for Gloucester as well. I mean, what is a what uh, what greets a 21 year old Mike Whitney, you know, from from Matraville yeah. uh, heading over to play for Gloucester? What's what, what happens? What happens there? What does he say? A lot of guys, yeah. Well, a lot of guys I've been playing against and with some of the guys at Randwick uh, had been over to play club cricket in the off-season, and I was desperate to go over there. Mm. Uh, I threw a job in at Qantas a couple of years later to do it a bit more full-time, but at the time, they'd given me six months off. I'd just come out of an apprenticeship as a ground engineer, and one of the guys had played at this club called Fleetwood. Mm. So they said, you know, we've got this guy that's played a couple of seasons, and I'd also debuted for New South Wales in that previous season, 80-81. I played four games for the Blues and I was desperate to get over there and play club cricket and and be a professional. So I signed up for Fleetwood. They paid my airfare over Mm. and they paid me £65 a week and I was billeted with a 75 and a 65... 75-year-old man, a 65-year-old woman, Mm. Eddie and Edith Funk. Now... Yeah, when he introduced himself, he had a very hard but almost cultured Lancashire accent. And when he said, Eddie and Edith Funk, <laughs> I said, can you spell that, please? And he went, F-U-N-K, Funk. <laughs> <laughs> I said, okay. Eddie was very conservative. He was the ex-mayor of Fleetwood. Edith was just the most beautiful person. She passed away a few years ago at age 94. And she became my mother in England. And every time I went there after 1981, I went to Fleetwood and I called in and saw those people. But I got to Fleetwood. I went over with a good mate of mine from uh, Ramwick, Peter Devlin, who's now the curator at North Sydney Oval. Mm. He was the amateur. It was really different cricket. Some of those wickets you can stick your thumb in and it'll go right in. I mean, some of the early games in the wet, I can only run off three or four steps bowling in, into a mountain of sawdust on these wickets. The ball was wet. It was a different ball. So you had to learn really quickly. And I've also got to say, it was I was 22, and there was a good time to be had as well, gentlemen, let me tell you. <laughs> uh, but out of the blue, I was at home. Another phone call, that Lyle Gardner phone call at my mum's place that day changed my life. So did this one. I just happened to be home and the phone rang, and Edith said to me, can you pick the phone up? And she answered it like this, Fleetwood 2791. That was the phone number. So I picked it up. I went, Fleetwood 2791. And this voice went, is that you, Widow? And I went, yeah. He said, this is Greg Geese. Now, I'd played a couple of shield guns with Greg Geese, and he was on an SO scholarship at Gloucestershire. I went, yeah, Geese. He said, yeah. He said, Mike Proctor. And this guy called Brian Brain, who was a seamer who'd taken a thousand wickets in first class cricket, <laughs> have both broken down. They're looking for a replacement. I mentioned you. Can you come down for a trial? So I rang the, the Fleetwood chairman and he said, Yes, you can. 
but you have to play for us on the Saturday. And if we've got a one day on the Sunday, if we're not playing on the Sunday, go and play a John Player League game or midweek first class cricket three day game. So I got the train down there and I trialed and they signed me up. And I, I then went on to play two or three games for Gloucester over the next sort of six weeks. Mm. Then the big one came. Well, I was actually sitting on the balcony at Cheltenham playing for Gloucester against Hampshire and another phone call came and this guy said he was the manager of the Australian cricket team and that I'd been selected in the team to start the fifth test tomorrow. So I said, <laughs> so I said, fuck off, imbecile. <laughs> and hung the phone up. Fair dinkum. I thought it was I thought it was a mate of mine joining me up. Because, of course, the news had said that Lawson and Hogg were injured and this fifth test at Manchester. The phone rang back 30 seconds later and the bloke said, Michael, this is Fred Bennett, the manager of the Australian cricket team. I said, I'm really sorry for swearing, Mr. Bennett, but I thought it was a Gia. He went, get in the car now, drive up to Manchester, come up to the Grand Hotel and I'll meet you in room 242 as soon as you get here. So I did. And when I got up to that room, and it was like a two-hour drive, and my mind was just freaking out. I can't actually remember that drive now. Yeah. And got to that room, and there was Fred, dearest person you've ever met in your life, and Kim Hughes sitting on his bed in the manager's room saying, well, you're playing tomorrow. You're not 12th man. You're actually playing. You're going to bowl first change after Dennis Lilly and Terry Alderman <laughs> open the bowling. God. <laughs> and I looked at him. And this is what I do remember. You know how your, your baggy green gets presented on the ground and you know what your number is. No one knew what their number was in those days. We knew we had a number. Mm. But I remember Fred Bennett, he had a couple of big cardboard boxes in his room. And after I'd had this 10-minute talk with Kim, Fred went, there's your short sleever. You better have two short sleevers and a long sleever. And there's your baggy green. And just frisbeed it that's <laughs> for, for me to catch and that's how I got my first baggy green mm. so times have changed but yeah. it was just it changed my life again there's three phone calls I've talked to you about that if I hadn't have taken those phone calls my life would be very very different today mm. oh it's an incredible story Mike uh, I, I have to ask once he frisbeed you that Baggy green, you know, you know, what was the weirdest thing you did in it? You know, did you sleep in it that night or shower in it? <laughs> I remember looking, well, they said, here's your room key, take all your gear up to this room. So I did. And in those days, you shared rooms. You roomed with someone. The captain and the vice captain got their own room, but all the players shared. I go into this room and there's all this gear lying around. And I think, oh, how am I rooming with? And there were six or seven New South Welshmen on that Ashes tour. So I had a few mates there that I, that I knew. And there was this port, leather-crafted, beautiful bag in the corner. And I walked over and looked at it, and stamped on it was DK Lily. And I went, oh, no. And five minutes later, seriously, this is – I'd only met Dennis once during that shield season. I was 12th man for a game that they played. And he walked in, and fair dinkum, I stood at attention, like – <laughs> stood at attention like I was a soldier. I didn't know what to do. And he said, no, 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 Mike, you're good, mate. No drama. So I, Mr. Liver, no, no, Dennis, Dennis, Dennis. He was so fantastic to me during that whole tour. I stayed on board for the whole tour. It was amazing. Uh, 
And to answer your question about that baggy burn, I reckon I only wore it two or three times at most. I just put it away and always wore a fielding hat. Mm. It wasn't a a thing like it is now. I mean, Stephen, when he was captain of Australia, mm. bought in the thing and we all wear it on the, the first session of, mm. you know, when we go out to bowl. Those things weren't around. Stephen brought a lot of that stuff in, recognition of the number, presenting the cap on the ground, mm. wearing it out on the first session of that day. They were all Steve Wars ideas, but that doesn't mean to say that the thing wasn't special and sacred. I mean, I've still got it, and every now and again I pull it out and look at it, and I just shake my head. Mm. Just shake my head, think, wow, remember that when that was frisbee across the room to you? <laughs> that day changed my life completely, and the next day I ran out and became the 313th Australian Test Cricketer, and, and your life changes. Mm. Well, after your career, where you actually changed a lot of people's lives um, in your broadcasting career. I'm reaching for a segue there, but I'm talking about specifically <laughs> one of the great programs in Australian history, Who Dares Wins. That's that's what I, that's what I really want to talk about. And obviously, you've been is, talking about it all morning. I have been actually. talking about it all morning, and I've reached or, out to. A few. Or have you been talking about Tanya? Well, that's actually why we've got you on. This is this is, this is a gateway for me to get Tanya Zanetta's phone number. Yeah, that's right. But um. You know, I mean, there's some. I was talking to my sister last night and just reminiscing on some of the great, <laughs> some of the great dares. There was one where you were down at Sydney Harbour and there was some people on lunch break. This is in the '90s and it was fifty dollars to jump into Sydney Harbour fully clothed. Um, people drinking, in the '90s. In the '90s, lot, lot, of, lot of money back, a lot of money back then. But you know, uh, you know, uh, there was you know the wheat bix challenge. Um, there was you know people drinking ostrich eggs. Uh, yeah, you know. I remember a sheep's eyeball, eat a sheep's eyeball for 50 bucks. Yeah, there was some really weird things. Some really weird things that's going right, on. That's why I was going to ask you. So what, was, is there anything, was there an incident or like a, you know, a challenge or whatever that really stands out in the mind of like, well, that was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen? Oh, yeah. The whole show? Week, oh, <laughs> look, there'd never been a show made like that. And they were the real early days of reality TV. I mean, that mm. term didn't exist then. We got nominated in a couple of Logie categories, but it was for entertainment. The mm. word reality TV didn't exist. Mm. So it was well before its time. And to go out on the street and dare people for money as live, I mean, of course, we filmed it, went back, got edited, but it was as, as live. It was like you were there. Yeah. It had never been done before. Uh, I'd worked at the ABC with one of the blokes who thought up the idea. There were two English guys. And he rang me up, and I'd already started at seven doing Sydney Weekender. And he rang me up and said, we've got this show, mate, and we think you can do it. And we're going to we're gonna talk to Channel 7. And if they buy it, because you're already there, we want you to host the show. So within a couple of weeks, that all happened. And next minute, we're out on the street. there And, and as the show went on, of course, what was a big deal in Series 1 was nothing in series three or four. So they just kept having to up the ante yeah. all the time. And look, I, mean, I think there was a bit lost in translation as well because that last dare, the main dare, where if you succeeded in the main dare, you want to trip around the world. Yeah. The people who wrote in were generally the families and they would tell us that these people, um, my husband's a great man, great father, um, a great uncle, you know, great great grandfather, blah, 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 really hard worker, beautiful person, but he needs a break and we need to challenge him. He's getting lazy and his greatest fear is this. 
So we knew what their greatest fear was. Because mm, people, awesome. would, people would come up to me on the street, go, I'd do any of them dares on the show. And I go, yeah, mate, <laughs> people, yeah all the time. I used yeah. to get guys coming up to me going, I'm former SAS, I'll go on that show and do any dare you want me to do. Yeah. And I go, but, man, we don't want guys like you on the show. Yeah. We yeah. actually want the bloke who lives next door, yeah. who's an accountant, who's getting a bit lazy, and we know that he's shit scared of heights, so we're going to put him up in a helicopter and ask him <laughs> to bungee jump out of it. And that's, that's the way it worked. We found out what your greatest fear was, mm. and we exposed that. Mm. And what did that do for people? Well, I'll tell you what, there was a number of people that succeeded in those days, and some of them ended up on the speaking circuit mm. doing motivational talks, mm. stuff like this. It was really unbelievable, mm. the effect that that show had. Mm. We finished making it in about 97, 98, and as you quite rightly said, boy, people are still talking about that show and asking me on a weekly basis, oh, are you going to dare me or what about that there or where's Tanya? We love Tanya. <laughs> so, yeah, all the blokes ask me that. Where Tanya was fantastic, mate. <laughs> Tanya, believe it or not, now, I don't know how many people know this. I have triplets that are 26 years old and buying two girls. Tanya had twins about five years ago. So between us, We've got triplets and twins. What was in the water? <laughs> and who dares win? And for $50, we're ridiculous. going to find out with. <laughs> yeah. But Tanya still looks the same. She is gorgeous. We talk a couple of times a year. That show for her launched her into superstardom. Mm. She went and did Bollywood. She lived in England for 10 years and was the face of, of, uh, of, of beer commercials and Nike shoes and all this sort of stuff. Mm. She did great out of it. A real go-getter, Tanya. Love her. One last thing, Wit, and I've asked this to a few people before, but um, obviously we know. No, it's not about Gladiator. It's about sandpaper. Um, <laughs> you know, so the affair's completely over, as you know, consigned to the history books, fully accept only three people knew what was going on. Um, no one else had a clue what was going on. Um, they never used those tactics in previous series against England. Um, Wolf Lehman didn't know what was going on. Uh, he didn't, no, he didn't, know. Uh, he didn't know. Didn't have a clue. Um, no one knew. Given literally everything's better in your era, you know what was the best way to secretly get the ball talking? Um, aside from eighty grit sandpaper down the pants, a um, little bit of Vaseline in your shoelaces <laughs> always went well on the shining side. You know, bit of bit of bit of uh, uh, UV suntan cream on the fire. Look, everything's been used. Yeah. yeah. This is the, the thing I got asked about it immediately. Of course, I said ball camping's been going on since day one, and will go on until the last game of cricket's ever played. Mm-hmm. When someone's either lifting the scene, maybe scratching the ball. Look, it really come to awareness with us when the Pakistanis started swinging the ball Irish mm. and we couldn't work out how that was happening. And, and then we got told, you know, some of the subcontinent guys are actually scratching it with a bottle top or mm-hmm. they've got a long nail and they're roughing up this one side it's of the just ball. really good wrist position it's just mm. solid it's just, it's wrist. just wrist release point yeah, just yeah. it's really good wrist position so yeah look it's been going on a long time if i have a ball tampered well you know if cleaning out a bit of grass in the seam and trying to lift the seam back into its original position is ball tampering maybe i'm guilty of that mm. um i can't i've never never rubbed any substance on it. i mean i was a big enough sweater and played with Merv Hughes, who's the biggest sweater in the history of the world. So we didn't need much substance to rub it on there and try and shine it up. But, yeah, it was an amazing whole episode, that. I just couldn't work out how they didn't think they were going to get seen with 37 cameras at the ground now. But when I played, there were six cameras at the ground and only 
four worked at the one time or something. Mm. So it, it was really crazy. But I'd also heard, look, and I'll, I'll give you this. I spoke to people after that series and they said that series was brutal. Mm. And when you go to South Africa, I mean, they're like us. They'll, they'll, they'll fight until the last breath of South Africans. But the crowds over there, man, and the press and the people, and we'd really been given it. And there were suspicions that they'd been ball tampering in the first couple of tests as well, or doing something to the ball. So that's not to legitimise what we did. That's not to say what we did was right, what we did was wrong, and people suffered for a year, but it was a really nasty, volatile series. And, well, you saw... You know, a couple of guys nearly punching on, David Warner and mm. who was it, Dukok, Dukok, yeah. going into the race. I mean, I've never seen that. Mm. It never goes off the field, man. Mm. You can be abused on the field. It never gets to the point where you're punching on in the race going into the dressing room. So when I saw that, I thought, ooh, man, there's some ugly words being traded out there. And it was really vicious and a really heavy series, but you just can't take sandpaper out onto the ground and <laughs> scratch the ball on it and not get caught and think that it's okay. It wasn't okay. Mm. It was crazy. Uh, Mike, thanks so much for your time, mate. Very, very generous. Uh, really appreciate it and uh, all the great work you do in great cricket. Good on you, Sam and Ian. My pleasure, boys. Lovely to talk to you. Rogers on 99 and a shrill shriek of delight from Chris Rogers. Drilling that down the ground, a man who's performed so well at this ground for Middlesex. Finally, he gets a hundred. He gets on the honours board at Lords. It's a special moment. All right, here goes. He's our mate. He's your mate. Uh, it's his third time going around on TGC, uh, and this time he does so as Victoria's newly minted coach. It's Chris Rogers. Buck, welcome back to the Grade Cricketer. Thanks, boys. Um, I was meant to answer the call 30 minutes earlier, but I completely forgot about you, so not a great, great start, was it? <laughs> oh, no, but, you know, it just reinforces the hierarchy, so that's fine. We, we're used to it. We're used to it. <laughs> we're going to kick off and say congratulations on uh, the Victorian coaching job. Obviously, COVID's here, uh, and uh, your beloved, our beloved Chapel Street's dead. Uh, how are you coping? Uh, yeah, it's pretty tough at the moment. Um not as, not as bad as Higo, obviously, um, living solo <laughs> along there. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm a bit disappointed that some of my, my favourite haunts are, uh, are locked down at the moment. But um, we'll just have to wait till they come back. Mm. But uh, obviously, Pez said at, at the top, you know, you've just been given the Victorian uh, coaching job. And you have been given it as well. Um, but uh, I want to know, like, how um, – like, what happens in a cricket coaching job interview? Because it's a bit yes. different to a footy – club, isn't it? Or like, a, you know, a soccer team, whatever. You can talk more about, I guess, formations and tactics and roster, you know, rosters and all that sort of thing. Whereas cricket coaching is a bit more opaque about, you know, what, what are the ins and outs are. So like what, mm. what, what happens in a cricket coaching job interview? What's the first question? And are you wearing a suit? Yeah. And your baggy green. Um, well, it was all, it was all on Zoom. So, uh, right. I could wear, I, I, I didn't even have to have pants on really, but, right. um, <laughs> Um, but no, I'm pretty sure it on. You know, try, try to do the right thing. But, uh, yeah, look, it, it, you're just presenting to, to panels um, for the big job. You know, I presented to a, to a couple of different panels. It was, it was kind of more the, the people who were directly involved in the team first up and then and then kind of people more on the board uh, the second time around. So 
um, yeah, just I, I guess from their point of view, they just want to get a sense of who you are and what you stand for, and mm. um, and then whether you know they're keen to in, invest in you um, and your own growth. So, um, yeah, that was that was probably the sense I got out of it. Mm. And so you say present, so you have to literally put together a presentation, like a PowerPoint presentation. Yes, I had to do all that. I've I've, um, I've got pretty good at PowerPoints uh, these days, so um, learned a lot over the last period. But yeah, so you, you basically present, and then um, and then they ask you questions. Mm. So nice. Well, don't say um, too much more about that. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I, I got one for you just from a coaching philosophy standpoint. Like we've um, heard over the journey of the last couple of years, but it's always been the case, say, in, in New South Wales, they sort of have a stated aim with their cricket to just produce as many test players as possible or as many Australian players as possible. And, you know, we've even heard there's been players who have been, say, you know, the top run scorer or have the highest average that might be getting on in their career who would be dropped because they feel like someone else might be a better chance of playing for Australia is that the same attitude that you would take into the Victorian coaching role or is it more about winning now? Oh, I think it's, it's a, it's a fine balance. I think, um, Victoria probably historically have, have, have been a little bit about let's win it. And we'll, if we get success, then, then the players will go on to play for Australia, but probably haven't had that kind of, um, pathway. So, now there's a there's a, a, a sense of yeah like let's let's see if we can get a, a number of these players who are going on to play for Australia and and be permanent fixtures. So it's it's a fine balance because you don't it's not like going in all with the kids because who are they they were going to learn off um, and, and and getting beaten regularly doesn't doesn't help either. So I think it's just about just being aware of of what you're trying to do and, and how you can balance that out. So I mean for us we've got. Uh, 14 guys, I think I calculated, who are kind of 22 and younger, and, and only one of them is, 14, is, is 22. So um, we've got a really young group, um, and then it's making sure that, you know, they're, they're not completely exposed. They want to be surrounded by some good, some good senior players so um, and, and where they're still uh, experiencing success. So that, that's probably a long-winded answer of, of saying it's a bit of both. Mm, circuits. This year, big circus. Yeah, like I was going to ask you because we saw um, during the week that Ian Bell uh, announced his retirement, um, playing there for um, Warwickshire. I mean, you you would, you would have come across him for a number of years, obviously in Ashes series as well, but obviously on the county circuit as well. Funny guy because like twenty two Test hundreds, amazing record, average forty two, a bit less than what you might have otherwise suspected. But he's won five different Ashes series, like an amazing player. Like, I mean, how good was he? Like, how good was he to play against? He scored heaps of runs against Australia, especially in two thousand thirteen. I think he got five or five hundred runs in the Ashes series. Then stacks of runs, county level. I mean, how good was he? Um, yeah, you can say, I wasn't expecting to be talking up a, a pom on, the, on this. <laughs> how shit was he? <laughs> um, it was a fellow fellow ginger, so I'll, I'll, I'll say yeah, really good. But um, oh, look, he was a, he was a obviously a class player, and he played um, you know a, a lot of a lot of cricket. I always have a lot of respect for people who have that that longevity because it it is a tough game. Um, but yeah, very good player, very easy on the eye. Um, got got it done a, a, a little bit against us, as you said in two thousand thirteen. I actually remember that series because. It was the, the first one back in, and mm. I've been playing a lot of county cricket, and he kept sledging me 
kept saying, oh, it's not like county cricket anymore. You're not facing, you know, he, he referenced Kimmy Murta, who was my teammate at Middlesex, who bowls kind of medium pace kind of thing. So kept saying that. And then, yeah, he was getting all the runs at the time. But over the kind of 10-match two series, I picked him in the last last innings. And then so I made sure I gave him plenty back in that last innings. But, um, but yeah, he was... Um, <laughs> I've just overtaken you in head-to-head run scoring. <laughs> So how the good was he? Yeah, I smashed that well, series, mate. Don't well, that. The only tell stories when you do well. So yeah, that's yeah. the other thing. But um, but yeah, look, I yeah, very good player, and and obviously had some incredible highlights, and and um, yeah, thoroughly deserving of a, a great career and a, and a good send off. Yeah. On that, you mentioned that 2013 series there where you came back in. I, I was talking last week on the show about that, for me, was the first one in recent memory of like Australia picking sort of like more of a horses for courses policy where you'd scored stacks and stacks of runs at county cricket and you did really well for Australia when you came back into the side. I mean, and then there's this kind of conversation in England at the moment, Buck, where they were, you know, they left out Stuart Broad of the first test match of the summer because they're thinking about, you know, Wood and, and Archer opening the ball at the Gabba in 18 months' time. You know, like, it mu- must be a fine balance as a coach or as a selector where you're trying to win games of cricket now, but you've also got to think about in 18 months' time, which is like, well, the big series is in Australia. You know, the, the big series always is Australia and England. You know, so, like, how do you get that balance right between picking the games for now to win the games now but also planning for the future? Um. Didn't I answer this question? But yeah, I think it's um, look, it's 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 tough. I think that the, the interesting thing about that England team is, uh, and what I've heard as well is, what did they actually find out? Mm. They, they didn't really find anything about their bowling attack. They found out that Broad and, and Anderson get it done in England conditions. So mm. um, yeah, so so what what's going to happen when they do come to Australia? You know. I, I guess they, they wanted to go down that path, but it didn't quite work out. Um, Stuart Broad wasn't particularly happy when he got left out either. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a tough one because the other thing is it's not like your national side's a development side either. It, it's kind of, you know, you should have to earn the right to get in there, not just about giving people games. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really difficult one. And that's probably where we, we've got to make sure that the kind of the feeder system, you know, that, that the shield cricket and county cricket over there are as strong as they possibly can be. Buck, uh, two players of interest to the batting group in Australia is Will Pekofsky and Pete Hanscom. Just on Pekofsky, you know, how close do you think he is to breaking into that side? Where is he at uh, in terms of his ambitions there? And, and what will you be doing to assist that? And then with Hanscom, you know, is he going to come out of the popping crease and get on the front dog? <laughs> <laughs> I've always had this thing about like with Hanscom. I'm, I'm not quite sure. It's like I listen to people who say, "Why doesn't he just stand um, a foot further forward or a yard further forward?" As if the bowlers are then going to be bowling full tosses. The bowlers <laughs> then would see where he's standing and say, "Okay, I'll bring my length back." I've never quite understood that logic, but um, someone might have to explain it to me. But uh, back to Pekofsky, I think he's. Um, Look, I think there's a there's definitely a touch of class there, and, and, and people see it. Um, a lot of times when you see people, how they make runs, it, it, that's kind of what you're interested in, in. And he just has that kind of calmness and, and yeah, composure that, that really stands out that you think, okay, he could probably deal with a lot of the, the, the international pressures. Um, there's Clearly, you know, he's got some, some other issues that, that he's, he's got to work through. Um, 
and look, all of us, you know, here are, are just there to support him and, and seeing how we can we can you know manage a, a lot of those uh, issues with him. Um, but yeah, for, from my point of view, I just want to keep developing that that kind of um, that composure. It's like he's like he's a an old head on young shoulders, and and that really sticks out. So that's that's a real strength. And then with Pete, um, yeah, I guess I guess one of the conversations I've had with him a little bit is, is how how do you score runs when you're captain of your your kind of you know your state side as well? Because that's 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 actually a challenge in itself. Because you you end up kind of thinking a little bit too externally, too much about other people and the team and stuff like that. Forget that your first job is to score runs yourself. So I'll just be trying to take as much pressure off him as, as possible um, and allow him to, to make sure he's focused on what he needs to do. Um, when Higos wanted to talk for a bit about Ian Bell for some reason, he mentioned the um, <laughs> 2013 series. And I, I'm just mindful that... Back then, you know, the Australian coaching setup was, uh, well, I mean, it was, was Darren Lehman, was he in by then or was in soon after and Clark was the captain and it had a very kind of, had a particular mm. style and a, a particular tinge to it. Mm. And now when we look at the um, the Australian coaching setup, you've got guys like yourself and Gillespie and Woodhill and Andrew McDonald and guys who kind of are prepared, I think, to think outside the box and, and maybe have a little bit less of that macho kind of alpha edge to a point. I'm mm. saying you can't alpha people. Mm. We definitely can, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, di- I'm digressing. Yeah, don't, uh, yeah. Yeah, don't run into that. Yeah. But uh, like how would you compare um, <laughs> the, style, the style of person that, you know, formerly was, was coaching Australia and involved in the setup versus now? You know, has there been a, a market shift? Uh, yeah, I, I think. I mean, I think there is. It's, it's probably more about developing relationships and um, you know helping people rather than telling people. Um, yeah, I, I think if you only have to look at AFL, you know, that those kind of days of those halftime sprays are, mm. are probably a little bit bit numbered. So it, you know, it's a bit the same in cricket, and in many respects, cricket's a long way behind in coaching because you know. It, it, it kind of really only has taken off in cricket over the last 15 or 20 years, I guess. You know, before that, it was a bit like the captain would just run the whole show. So, um, yeah, there's still a bit of bit of way for us to go. And um, But, yeah, it's probably more about, uh, well, man management. Saying that, I played under some, some really good coaches who, who that was their strength as well. But, um, yeah, maybe there's a, there's a bit more awareness about that. You did mention AFL there. Buck, I mean, how much AFL chat was there in your job interview? Um, no, no doubt that would have helped get you over the line. How much, how much Aussie rules thinking are you planning to incorporate into your Victorian cricket coaching? Um, well, you, you, you have to be prepared to, to throw it in a fair bit with this group. Um, <laughs> I, look, I, I know, I, I've said it before, when I, when I moved over from Perth to, to Victoria and, and played even local cricket. No, they all thought they were just AFL um, AFL players, all wannabe AFL players, and, and that's how, <laughs> how they played, you know, like the sledging and the carry-on and that, that kind of stuff. So Get around um, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Up and about. You, you've, got to, yeah, you've got to use those references as much as possible. Yeah. So, yeah, get a touch. Like you throw it in in the interview, it, yeah, it might help. Credit to the boys. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that, Buck. Uh, thanks for that conversation. And, um, yeah, I'm sure Chapel Street will be up and humming soon, as will, uh, the, Victorian, <laughs> as will the Victorian cricket team. Thank you very much. Well, I, I bumped into you on Chapel Street the last time I saw you, didn't I, Sammy? So uh, no doubt I'll see you, like, 
wandering around there as well. It was, it, it was, a, it was a good exchange, I felt, um, but I sort of went in for the elbow tap and you're like, what the hell's that? Uh, what have you done there? So, you, know, you alphaed me then, you alphaed us with a phone call today, but, uh, you know, just ah. keeping the hierarchy solid. <laughs> Got to be consistent. <laughs> Cheers, Buck. Good on you, boys. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Mike Whitney Thanks. and Chris Rogers there. He goes, two of the more erudite guests you would have on the grade cricketer. Well, don't discard Jack Leach. Very good point. Yeah. Very good point. Now, time to... Give some great shout-outs, some great thanks to friends who actually support this show, who mm. make this all happen. I'm, of course, talking about a wonderful compadres at Budgie Smuggler. Now, this we normally try and tie these kind of uh, these conversations to what's happening in public, and it doesn't matter whether you're in the UK, Australia, India, or Clifton, the US, as our Wooshka analytics tell us. Um, <laughs> all, of, all of you guys are great supporters of the show. No idea okay. where that is, but... Um, uh, wherever you are at the world at the moment, politics is divisive. Everything is done in binary ways. I like where ways. this is going. Everything's done in binary ways. And okay. it's no different to Melbourne here, you know. You're either uh, supportive of um, health-informed, scientific-informed, medically-informed measures mm-hmm. to eradicate a pandemic, mm. um, or you think our uh, uh, Premier is a dictator. Uh, yeah. There's no middle ground. Mm. It's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. It's either a dictator who doesn't support business, mm. uh, a megalomaniac, uh, who, yes. who's doing a weird social experiment. Yes. That seems to be his motivation. Yes. Or you think he's uh, listening to people who are saying, let's get this right before Christmas so people can see each other. No middle ground. And so no. with that in mind, I figured like maybe a few face mask budgie ideas that you can custom designed mm-hmm. with polar opposites. Could Ooh, be honest. Do you know what I mean? Yes, so yeah, yeah, okay. this week we saw, um, you know, Luke Darcy, the AFL uh, great, uh, take on Dan Andrews in an interview yesterday. So yes. on yes. one side, you know, and I want it like Street Fighter, mm. you know, Ryu mm. v Ken. Mm. Luke Darcy versus mm. Dan Andrews. Mm. Ricky Ponting versus Ravi Ashwin. I like it. Stuart Broad, Johnny Lou. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny Lou. Okay. We've never met him, but apparently that's what his mates call him. Oh, okay, so, right. We'd love to have him on the show. Yeah, okay. I like the well, – mate, I was thinking before, I've been thinking about it a lot recently, that I feel like because of – it's not just Melbourne, it's everywhere. It's like people are so fucking angry everywhere. Now, like mm. the internet anger has been going around for ages, right? Yeah. Everyone knows that. Yeah. But I just feel like it's just dialing up a notch, you know, like someone did a fucking gender reveal last night in California and now 7,000 hectares are on fire. How are those two related? Because they set off some fucking pyrotechnics for the gender reveal. I mean, you know, now I'm angry about that. You know, <laughs> a gender reveal. Nothing will beat Luke Highland's pull shot in full white to reveal he was having a go. <laughs> was very yeah. strong. Yeah. The ball's outside off, so he had to reach for he it. He did have to sure reach for right it, yeah. Well, you know, depends what the field setting was. Um, yeah, mate, so I just feel like people are angry on the internet, is my point, and I just want, like, a picture of a faceless man just screaming expletives. With, you have to use, like, the at sign and F and asterisks, you know, okay. that kind of thing. Just maybe just that coming out of your mouth because you're okay. angry. That's so, there, so listeners, there just a few of our, our ideas. They're what just you some could of put them. on some custom design you want. face masks. And Andrew said he was conservative on the point of face masks, so we will be wearing them for a while, I believe. You can get them and other paraphernalia at budgiesmugglerukuk.com or simply he goes budgiesmuggler.com. Pez, what about Manscaped? Manscaped's back. Now, it's interesting because I'm getting a lot of texts as well, Pez. I, when I say a lot, you know that thing when internet influencers, I'm not calling myself that, I'm just saying when you see you're that. On the, you're an emerging and influencer. They get, and they get like, I've been getting a lot of questions yeah. about, and it's just like, who the fuck is asking about herbal teas? 
for your for your abs. You know, you're not getting that many questions, I don't think. Okay. Do you know what I'm going for there? I don't know where you're going. So neither do I. Let's going. find out what happens next, though. Yep. Now, Manscaped is the thing that I've been, I have actually been getting correspondence from my male friends. Mm. Um, I actually want female friend now that I say that. Mm. And uh, yeah, about like what's the code for Manscaped for TGC? Now it is off the top, 20% off TGC. At checkout, you get twenty percent off your manscaped. Type in TGC, you get twenty percent off. Manscaped, obviously, being the 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 lawnmower three point. Yeah, exactly. Yes, it helps you scape those areas. And right? Pez, we were very kind enough to receive. We've received the product. We've received product. Yes. Yeah. And do you want to talk about your experience? Uh, I mean, I'm being legit here. I know this is a promo. It's but a f- I, I've mate, got legit things to say. It's a fucking game changer. Is what it is. It's a game changer. Oh, it's, this is like that Brady Bunch episode where they say, "I'm not going to you. I'm not going to promote that." Um, Laundry detergent, unless we use it and we like the product. Now, I've I've received it, mm. right? Mm. Manscaped being, you can clip around the areas. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I read an email this morning from Esther Perel about taboos in relationships, <laughs> and why do we why do we love taboos so much? Yeah. Now, I'm 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 a husband with two children. Yes, you right? are. I don't particularly want to get on this podcast and discuss shaving my balls. Yeah, you're coming right? into my okay. domain here. Yeah, it this is, is your domain, territory. and people would rather imagine you doing that. But I'm going to break the taboo. <laughs> I'm going to break it, he goes, with this man. I'm serious. I was like, I'm going to use this product. Yeah. Because while I don't grow hair on my head, I do. I quite, quite get a fair bit really of Really strong on the balls. Yeah. Really strong. Well, anyway, my, my son says I have fur on my back. Um, <laughs> now, I didn't want to use clippers on my balls because yeah. you think it's going to cut my balls. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. I'm sorry if yeah. this is causing a bit of cringe out there. I'm just telling you what has. I'm not cringing. But the, I've got a f- couple of different clippers because of my head and my face and stuff like that. Got options. Some really sharp zero clippers. So I'm like, I don't want to do that in my balls. Fuck that. The Manscaped Clipper, all right, yep. and this isn't the official wording of it. This isn't a, the official it wording. Isn't. It's, yeah. got a, it's got a deep groove. Yeah, it does. Yeah, you agree, right? I've it's got a deep it, yeah. groove. Now, I'd, I used it. I had a very good experience. Mm. I'm very happy with the results. Yeah. I've got no itch. Mm. I've got no um, growth that's disturbing me. Mm-hmm. I'm happy with how it looks, and mm. so is my wife, mm. right? And I'm. it's a taboo, and mm. I'm sorry, but this is a product that works and makes you feel better and it, no skin off your nose or off your balls. When you say, when you talk about Manscaped like that, I'm getting a disturbing growth, let me tell you. Mm. Innuendo. That's mm. why I'm playing with mm. that. Pets, it's funny because at the top of the show I said that I can't get a haircut till October 26th. Let me tell you, the, ball, the balls are good. You know, I can't show them to anyone, but, you know. I well, send them oh, on the internet. On the internet. I can send them on the internet, yeah. And do you I do, do that? Do you do that? You, are you, that's the scene, No, well, it? I used to. I yeah. used to as a younger man. But now, like, because it's, really, shots, it's right? really, yeah, dick pics. So it's really interesting. Oh, that's right. Cock shots is really aggressive. That's really aggressive. It's, it's the head. same thing. Yeah. It's really funny because, like. like cock show, which is how someone described playing at my old club was. It's just a <laughs> cock show. I mix it up. <laughs> it's really funny, mate, because men are so visually stimulated, right? That's why That's why porn exists. That's why, like, every oh. porn is shot in from, like, the oh. male perspective. That sounds like a Joe Rogan kind of theory. No. With respect to Joseph. It is. Like, men are so visually stimulated. So, for instance, when, when we receive, we as men receive a woman, a photo of a naked woman, and we can all agree that the na- the female form is just far more aesthetically pleasing than the male yeah. form. Even if you're more sexually stimulated by men. Even if you right? are. Yeah. It's a better form. It's just a better form. It's a it's an Ian Bell cover drive. Mate, 100%. I'm glad you said that. Um, just what you were thinking. Exactly. And I always do. Um, but, like, so when you... So when you receive those as a man, you're like, fuck yeah, that's so good. Now to 
I'm going to reciprocate that that the woman's going to receive, and I'm just going to send a picture of my penis. Oh, God. It's not the same thing. The woman right. doesn't. The woman doesn't go like, "Oh, that is so good. I'm so happy that I've received that now." Have you done some field research in respect of that? Like, have you asked? The I've sent a couple of surveys. Yeah, yeah, and they say, "Look, it's not, it's not my body, but it's something." Yeah. Yes. That's the feedback. And you're saying that this product, Manscaped, can just enhance the form. It can. The optical inch. Yeah. It can. It looks, it looks cleaner. It's cleaner. I'm sorry, you know. Is I'm, this still I'm, an ad? I'm, Are we just talking about dicks well, Man, I'm actually passionate about the, pro- about the product. <laughs> Do we need to say other things here? Mm. I think we've sold it enough. The code is TGC. Use that at checkout. You get 20% off. And can I just say, with Budgie Smug, I don't know if we missed it, but you can use the code CHAMP for free shipping too. I think you said that. Did I? Okay, just in case. Okay. Because Lindy's probably listening to that going, well, where's our code? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I support you listening. guys every week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and give seven minutes on Manscaped <laughs> and your balls. Uh, okay. Those are, those, That's how you do it professionally, those, guys. Those, those are the people who support the show and our pa- lovely patrons as well yes. um, who mean that we get to keep doing this. So thank you very much um, for allowing Let's take their questions. Allowing us to buy bread. Now, where the fuck's my questions, mate? Let's take their questions with hashtag RTGC. I've got it up. Uh, okay, I've got it. I've got you it. You got it. You're good okay. to go. Max Gillespie writes in. Right, Come on. We've done 126 of these. Get Let's it right. Let's go. Jesus. He says, hello, TGC. This is Max Gillespie. A couple of good questions today. Three great questions. I must preface this by saying that this is not about grade cricket, but yuck park T20 shit. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking that this is okay because scope creep is a prevailing theme in this show, and I'd like to contribute to this as I often enjoy the non-grade aspects of hashtag RCDC. I've competed in two sports outside of school, both of which would, would probably be considered rare. These are archery and competitive cheerleading. In both sports, I made it to the upper echelon competing at the state and national level and winning, but in the traditional Australian sporting culture, these wins do, do not rank highly in terms of status or status. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> when, I, when I joined the Your club. head's all over the place. <laughs> but eight coffees. When I joined a club this preseason in preparation for my inaugural season where I will only play yuck park T20 shit, I will eventually be asked by my club mates, did you play any other sports before this? My question is, do I come clean about my sporting history? This would mean an inevitable explanation of the intricacies of the perfect and repeatable technique of archery or the strength and coordination that is required to repeatedly throw a girl into the air and catch her above your head in a choreographed routine. After this explanation, I would most likely be out as a perennial rare unit. In parentheses, I am 6'3 and bowl leg spin, so this may be true. Or do I shrug and say, nah, mate, nothing serious since high school keeping my rare side hidden until I'm accepted within the club. Do I embrace my potential rare unit status as Adam, as Adam Zampa says and get rarer? Or do I hide my true self and engage in the toxic masculinity around many aspects of Australian sport and become a drone following our already deeply ingrained culture of rigs, levers and getting around the boys? I'm a 21-year-old Australian uni student if this matters. I need some advice or alternative options this has been keeping me up at night for weeks. Your thoughts are much appreciated. Yours in Mother Cricket, Max. Oh, lovely question, Max. I love it. Lovely Beautifully question. written, well packaged. Um, yes. I just want to address something at the top. What's that, mate? A uh, bit, bit indulgent for us, but I, I noted Max said that um, he's thinking that the question's okay because scope creep is a prevailing theme in this show. Well, not if you read our latest review uh, on iTunes, <laughs> which essentially <laughs> says same shtick. <laughs> 
So it's very difficult to win, you know. Long-time listener, yeah. shame stick, one star. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's great Why to get such a cunt on the Long-time listener. Yeah. I've, I've listened to 126 episodes, yeah. one star. <laughs> Thanks but, for giving you know, it a go. You gave it a go. We've been discouraging earnestness the entire time, so True. it's going to happen to True. us. True, yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's all right. All it means is we go down the charts and stuff like that and we die. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, so that aside. Yep. With Max, yeah, like it's so e- isn't it so easy to say, oh, you've got to own it, Max? No, nah, just get in there, be a rare unit. It's the right thing to do. Yeah. You know, it's it, Max is pointing out it's not as simple as that. We wouldn't mm. be listening to him properly mm. if we said you've got to embrace awareness. Of course you do mm-hmm. have to embrace awareness, Max. Six three, bowl leggies. Mm. Uh, He's already che- doing it. Cheerleading, all that sort of stuff. Archery. Yeah. yeah. Archery. Yeah. Uh, but what I wondered, it, like, we've got to get you to embrace the rareness and to, and to get out there and do it in a dignified way and not have to kind of um, uh, do it in one of those kind of clandestine ways and be a drone for a while because That's you'll right. sort of hate yourself for that. And it's not the right, it's, it's, not, it's not helpful to the sort of yeah. uh, strain cricket, you know, diaspora mm-hmm. to have people doing that. Nice. Um, I wondered if you could use what you identified as the kind of toxic masculinity and the, the, the drone following the deeply engaged, ingrained culture of rigs to achieve rareness, mm. right? Mm. So you, you, you're an archer, that's what you say. Yes. Yeah? You're also a cheerleader. Mm. Now, you would know this, he goes, mm. cheerleaders, um, much like their kind of cousins, gymnasts and dancers, yes. have sensational rigs. Sensational rigs. Sensational rigs. rigs. Yes. yes. Circuit rigs. You know, this is the sort of muscles that you, you get yeah, there. circuit rigs, yeah. Yeah, real circuit rigs. Mm. Can you use... <laughs> Great deep turn. in your eye. Get on great, it, YouTube. Look at the eye contact. Jump on our YouTube. Subscribe, actually. And can you use your no doubt sensational rig? You're a 21 year old uni student, six foot three. Yeah. Can you use that to your advantage? Max fucks. He fucks. Yes. Uh, <laughs> through me. I think you're going to, rightly or wrongly, be immediately. Uh, like accepted because of your rig, if your rig's that good. 100%. And then you use that, you use that as leverage yeah. to go, hell yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Hell yeah, I'm an archer. Yeah. Hell yeah, I'm a cheerleader. You, you bowl leggies. Just say you land a couple in a row. Someone compliments your accuracy. It's like, well, that's the archery. <laughs> <laughs> I use archery. Sorry, what? Yeah. It's, just the, it's the archery. archery. Uh, six yeah. foot three, he's got levers. Yeah. Levers one for six. Or whatever, yeah. He's like, oh, that's 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 cheerleading. Yeah. How many? How many? Like, you you need serious levers yeah. to to lever a woman up in the air. Yes, always said you that. Catch it, and I've always said that. Yeah. It's on my tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> so I I just think try and leverage the it's rig. Good point. Try it's and leverage point. the toxicity yeah, of yeah. the rig yeah. to bring the rarity into your game. What you've said is right, and I'll be Thanks. the arbiter of what is right and what is wrong Thank on this show. You let me know you're doing that. That's right. And now what I would say is, is that fucking hell, man, yeah, I'm tired. From um, is that, uh, you know, he can't keep the secrets that much longer. Now I'm thinking, you know, the, the famous, you know, Australian athlete, Simon Fairweather, yeah. who won the gold medal at the Olympics. Now Max was one when that happened, which makes me feel really old. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, Simon Fairweather won gold, but he, you know, the archers, when they press the string right into the nose and they have like the dimple in the nose. Now, if that's a long lasting effect, you know, you know, maybe of substance abuse or of archery, one of those two things. Could be one of the two. So, you know, he can't keep the secrets, secrets for that much longer. He does have to pick a path, but I agree with the leverage angle. Oh, you're saying someone will say, mate, what's up with that dimple on your nose? Yep. And he can choose to say, I was an archer or I have a bad coke habit. <laughs> So he's saying, and you're saying, just say archery, brother, and go, and use your rig for that. Mm. 
Yeah. Oh, I hope that's helped, Max. <laughs> Charlie Moss writes in. Let us know how you get on with that. Let us know how you get on. Yeah. Wish everyone could let us know how they got on after our yeah. advice. Um, they never write back, never, do never they? Yeah. <laughs> to lose listeners. <laughs> that's not true. Going up, if anything. Relentless year in your growth. <laughs> Charlie Moss writes in. Gents. That's so unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. a bit indulgent today. Uh, gents. Two of my best friends have been together for the last five years since meeting through me. Amelia, a former colleague, is a better person than me or her partner, Mark, my friend from school. As such, she volunteers for a blind charity and through this befriended a wonderful young woman who happens to play for the England women's blind cricket team. One Saturday last summer, Amelia was asked to play for England alongside her mate in a friendly against a full-sighted mixed team who all worked for the same company. The women's blind team is not affiliated with the ECB like the men's team is, so some of the regular players who lived six hours away didn't make the journey for what was only a casual friendly. The sun was shining, so Mark and I came down to have some tinnies in the park and watch the game. Two cans in, and the full-sided team uh, come over to us, say they're too short and would we like to play. Obviously, we wouldn't, but can't really say no. The initial buzz of realising that whatever the technicalities would be able to say we played cricket against England (laughs) soon wore off when we realised how fucking hard blind cricket is. Briefly, for those who aren't familiar, the stumps are metal with the... Bales welded, uh, yeah, the bales welded on so that the players can get their bearing. The ball is bowled underarm with a rattle in it and the batter adopts more of a hockey stance with most shots being variations of a sweep. When taking part as a full-sighted team, there's a box of goggles that get handed around with varying amounts of tape and blocks on to mimic the range of sight that the opposition have, fully blind to partially sighted. We field first and I'm glad to have been given some partially sighted goggles so I still have some idea of where I am and what's going on. Mark, <laughs> so again, shouldn't read it beforehand. I know this is I to, yeah. Mark is handed a pair of fully blacked out glasses, which he nobly dons without complaint and comes to field at mid-wicket, with me at square leg. One tactic is that when the ball comes towards a fielder, better sighted teammates say their name so they know it's coming their way and can lie flat on the floor in the hope it hits their outstretched body to stop a boundary. Between overs, I notice Mark, who can see nothing, has inadvertently creeped to within about a yard of me, so I try and help him get back in position. Mark, I say without thinking, and he instantly hits the deck outstretched like a pencil (laughs) with the ball not only nowhere near him, but not even in play. (laughs) Jaunty Rhodes, eat your heart out, but mustn't laugh, must be respectful. I get brought on to bowl and there is no longer any danger of laughing, nor having anything but huge respect for these athletes. The goggles I was wearing had a spot on the outside of my right eye that I could see through, so for me to see straight ahead of me, my chin was on my left shoulder with my eyes looking as far to the right as possible. I'm an able sportsman, decent enough cricketer in my school days, and still play 11-a-side football every Saturday. Throwing 22 yards underarm in a straight line like this was fucking beyond me. Thankfully, a wide in this format is a two-run penalty, but no repeat delivery. Five wides and a boundary later, I gratefully head back to a square leg. Any enthusiasm at doing something with my Saturday that a wholesome, well-rounded, giving individual might do has completely evaporated, and I really don't want to be there. I didn't fucking sign up for this. They set us 120-odd from 20 overs, and mine and Mark's request to bat at 10 and 11 was met. We continue to make no effort to integrate with these nine strangers and sit by ourselves with a few more beers. We lose a few wickets and fall behind in the chase, then realise that they're using the rule whereby any partnership not out after four overs has to retire, which means either way we're going to have to bat. Two lads from this company come in at eight and nine and start smashing it to all parts, really fucking belting it, apparently mocking the situation, showing off to their female colleagues, laughing amongst themselves, we've all received a champion from these sorts at some point in our lives. 
By the time these two banter merchants were forced to retire, <laughs> Mark and I come into bat needing five to win from four overs. Halfway to the crease, we realise we've forgotten to take any goggles out of the box, so we take them from the retiring batters. What they've chosen from the selection available are essentially fucking sunglasses. We can see everything. <laughs> 5% in awe of such Trumpian not giving a fuckery and 95% appalled at what these two have just done. I prepare to take strike and wonder how the fuck to play this one out. Blind cricket is a lot easier when you can see. <laughs> Great quote. <laughs> I can't decipher which is more respectful to the opponents. <laughs> Trying my hardest and smashing the first 15 mile per hour underarm delivery to the boundary or trying to make more of a contest out of it by picking outfielders and pretending I, lit- I can't see literally everything. <laughs> There's very few catches or runouts, <laughs> so I can't even give my wicket away unless the ball is on the stumps. My friend Amelia is at mid-off, so I managed to paddle a few balls to her for no run, leave a few and see out a maiden over. Every shout of well bowled from the opposition makes me squirm a little more. Mark takes a similar approach the following over, navigating the first five deliveries for no runs. We have no plan but think we're being as gracious as can be under the circumstances. Then the cunt very deliberately hits a fall. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently he hadn't seen the funny side of the earlier fielding incident. Back on strike the following over with full visibility against a team comprised of blind women. I have no choice but to eventually take a single and win us the match. Well done, champ. So where does each of us fit on the alpha cuck decaf spectrum here? Was I right to tell Dad I got scattered in the park and hit the winning runs? Thoughts? Charlie London. <laughs> okay, oh, so, long, long story, but good. Uh, it's a great good story. story. One of the great quotes we should yeah. take into the future is, yeah. blind cricket is a lot easier when you can see. <laughs> That's one of the great quotes. Now, upon reflection of this tale, Pez, this tale of woe, this tale of uh, heroism um, and heroin, is that, you know, I think you just got to dominate. You got to go out there and you got to fucking alpha it. You got to front dog it. You got to dominate. You know, when Australia beat American Samoa 42-0 in soccer, you know, do they take a backward step? What about when the All Blacks, you know, beat Namibia or whatever in the World Cup, 120-0? Do they take a back step? The Glimmer Grass slowed down against Namibia in the 2003 World Cup and took eight for one or something. Mm. You know, do they do that? It's alpha. Get on the front mm. dog. This is the Australian grade cricketer alpha-dom. Mm. That's what you got to do against these blind women. You yeah. front dog it and you fucking hit through the leg side and you hit it clean. Mm. There are no reprisals. Okay. No backward steps. You don't think they could have just stopped halfway and said, oh, no, can we get some goggles and do this properly? Easily. Easily. Easily, Easily could have done that. First thing they could have done. Uh, yeah. It's, I mean, it's the end. Oh, look, I haven't played blind cricket, but uh, like, I, I wonder if We should right. do that. Yes. I wonder if it's the same principle as we've spoken about before around being the cricketer in a situation, like in the backyard, Ooh, against people who of, of lesser ability uh, than you and – um, whether, you know, that's through um, something that's happened to you or otherwise, and, like, whether you hit catches or just destroy. And you're saying... In the same just, feeling, you like, if, you, if your five-year-old nephew's bowling to you and yeah. you just absolutely just pole one through to, like, three houses down, yeah, just send it flying. Yeah. That's going to be the same satisfaction in this game mm. when you're playing for against a blind yeah. team. Do you think those women that uh, Charlie referred to who were being, who were, you know who were trying to be impressed by those guys who batted with sunglasses on. Do you think they were impressed? Like, do, they, do you think that those women were like, that's hot? You know, Greg, Greg's just biffed uh, Lorraine yeah. for four. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Yeah, it's just gone, oh, it's all hollow I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm feeling sexually attracted yeah. to this man yeah. smashing blind women yeah. to all parts. Like, whilst what? laughing. Whilst laughing, going, yeah. well, what a shot. Yeah. 
His his vision is so good. His his depth perception is amazing for Helen. someone who's supposed to be wearing blind that blacked out goggles or whatever. Yeah. yeah, it's incredible. I guess grade cricket teaches you whatever you do, do it with conviction, even if you're the That's biggest exactly asshole in the world. So exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. Any middle ground, the middle way is no way at all. Hundred percent. Yeah, um, Pez. I think we're probably running out of time here. It's been a long <laughs> show. I think we might have to save the next one for next week. Yeah. Um, thanks very much to Mike Whitney for joining the show. Thank you, lovely people out there for joining the show. Thank you to Chris Rogers for joining the show. Great mm. questions this week. We'll see you guys next week.